Hi, this is Paul. Someone in the comments section mentioned Miley Cyrus and the Grammys and said that they enjoyed her performance. And I'm not going to put you on because every now and then someone sends me something because they really like this and they want me to do a video about how much I really like it too. And then I do a video and it's not at all what they were seeing when they saw it. So I won't, I won't out you. Miley Cyrus and the Grammys. I'll tell you what my salience landscaper saw so they i didn't know where to start looking i never watched the grammys i don't pay a lot of attention to this so i just typed in grammys miley cyrus and then story of the year so i thought well that's probably a good place to start story of the year and so and i know very little about miley cyrus i really couldn't tell you much at all about her i am i fail cultural literacy in terms of this period in this area but what I saw spoke volumes. The first thing that caught my attention was this, when she's having her little thing of the year, I just want to be the artist that my idols would be proud of. I, even as a preacher, you don't have to do any translating for this. And Tina Turner, Patti LaBelle, Dolly Parton, um... <laughs> We, what's her name? She had this song from Titanic, and we bought a, we bought a, a little plastic keyboard for like the kids to play. And I mean, you could really play songs. It was a pretty decent sized keyboard that had a few things you could press. And um, yeah, um, Whitney Houston. Oh, what's her name? The Canadian singer. My my. Anyway, there was a little button on that piano that you could play. Oh, now I gotta look up the dumb song. Celine Dion. My heart will go on. You know, kids repeat, and they played that song again and again and again and again just by hitting that little button on the plastic keyboard. Anyway, I just want to be the artist that my idols will be proud of. You can. You know, when you talk about people and their religion, Justin Brierley was on Andrew Sullivan's podcast. I only saw the teaser, which is like 45 minutes because I'm not subscribed to a Substack, but it was really good. And Justin was going over a bunch of the things that he's going. And I'm glad his podcast is getting wider attention than just, let's say, uh, the, the unbelievable area. I just want to be the artist that my idols would be proud of. If you don't think people are inherently religious, these are the images of her gods. These are her idols. I just want to be the artist that my idols would be proud of. Right there and bang. And then, okay, she won a Grammy. She beat Taylor Swift, who of course has been getting attention from Cassidy and Byrne in this little corner. And again, I know very little about Taylor Swift. I've had to listen to a couple Taylor Swift songs. They were fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with Taylor Swift. I... <laughs> and there's this stuff going on about her and Travis Kelsey. But, but Miley Cyrus beat Taylor Swift for the song, the song. And I thought, what song is this? It must be a love song. Oh no, it's way more than a love song. This is a song about, oh, let's show you the stuff that I've been working on this morning. This is the stuff. So I looked up the lyrics. Here are the lyrics. The title of the song is Flowers. And I thought this would be Flowers 
This would be flowers that a man would give to a woman. How naive am I? We were good, we were gold, kind of dream that can't be sold. We were right till we weren't, built a home and watched it burn. Now, I can't tell you how many times in Rando's conversations, marriages go wrong all the way up to and including divorce. And what that does in people's lives, both those who are in the divorce. And then you've got the marriages that don't get divorced and well, maybe they, they, they struggle through and they make it in a triumph. Maybe they struggle through and they collapse at the finish line. Ugh. Anyway, um, we were good. We were gold, kind of dream that can't be sold. We were right till we weren't, built a home and watched it burn. Mm, I didn't want to leave you. I didn't want to lie. Started to cry. But then I remembered I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours, say things you don't understand. I can take myself dancing. I can hold my own hand. Yeah, I love, I love me better than you can. Can love me better. I can love me better, baby. I can love me better. I can love me better, baby. Paint my nails cherry red. Match the roses that you left. No remorse, no regret. I forgive every word you said. I don't want to leave you, baby. I don't want to fight. Started to cry, but then I remembered I can buy myself flowers. Write my name in the sand. Talk to myself for hours. Say things you don't understand. I can make take myself dancing. I can hold my own hand. And it's it's the same lyrics all the way through. And not a lot of words in this song. Not a lot of words in this song. This is a this is a 7-Eleven song, as they say in Christian music. Seven words eleven times. So wow. 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 And this wins the Grammys. And then in this and then in this video thing, she's talking about how, oh, where'd it go? She's talking about how she just watches women sing this and dance to it. Because that made me immediately think of the whole math video with uh, Carrie from Sex in the City imagining herself to be an unbroken horse and walking away and and whole math nailed it in this video she's you know she's just she's just coping and 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 again i understand we use songs to support us in 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 certain ways just posted a conversation with um food truck emily on in the member section and that's going to be another big-time Randos conversation. It was two hours. Um, if you're not a member, it'll come to the full channel in about a week. But if you're not a, if you can't wait, go. That one's not even a no wait, no ads. It's just on the regular Randos section because that's usually where I put those. I put them in there, and then maybe they get pulled out or not. Everything that goes into no wait, no ads always gets pulled out. Although with John Verveke's video. I've been playing around with this editor to take out the ums and the uhs, and, and John, both John and I do a lot of starting sentences that we don't finish. So I've been playing around with this editor. So on the full version, you get the edited version. It's a little nice. All the main content's there. Um, in the no wait, no ads, I'm going to leave up the unedited version, 
with no ads and so at least no ads for as long as youtube lets there be no ads on it so i can buy myself flowers and you know i thought about this and maybe if you're young and pretty like Carrie and Sex in the City and you're looking hot and desirable like Miley and you're at the top of your career. And then I think about everybody sort of past a certain age. I don't think, I don't think ladies in the, and then I thought I would want to do a music video of this and I would want to have pictures of people in nursing homes because I get into nursing homes and I visit people in nursing homes and the hospital and I I I am with people in my church who spend decades aging and dying and I don't see them singing this song I can buy myself flowers I see them all they want is when the time comes for them to be in a nursing home or for the time comes for them to lay on their deathbed, they want to be surrounded by their family. They want someone who loves them to hold their hand. And this anthem of liberation from the rest of humanity, I think will wear very thin. I, and some of you are going to push back on this, but I'll tell you, when I saw this, I thought, yeah, this, this might work, Miley, when you look like this. But, so I did my Google zeitgeist first. And, you know, even with these nursing home pictures, no one's ever alone in them. They're not alone in any of these pictures. Why? Because... You know, Google, they'll they'll show you all kind. It's it's really interesting with the AI engines too, because sometimes I use Midjourney to to gin me up a, a picture for a thumbnail. I know if I had imagine nursing home dot dot dot, which would be a little bit horrific. Um, I mean, here's someone with love probably caring for a mother. I don't know. I I really I really don't think this is I really don't think this lasts. The belief that the best is yet to come. The belief that even what we look upon as that which can't be redeemed, that there is hope of redemption. The belief that in all of the indignities of old age, of declining health, of dying. Maybe I should read Mabel's story one more time. It's a great story. This is from John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted. It's an amazing story he got from a pastor named Tom Smith. The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. 
I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there. I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped into carts and into wheelchairs, looking completely helpless. As I neared the edge of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was also half deaf. She was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was just the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I've been at Livingstone's 25 years. She was there 25 years. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and said, Here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, Thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mobile held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up in a small farm that she managed until only her mother, um, with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950, when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker, with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read her from, to her from the Bible, and often I would pause. She would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics. She continued particularly relevant, she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. 
I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. She sang her tales of woe in the words of the Bible and in the words of the hymns. It was not many weeks before that I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder, that I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten different directions uh, with all, with one, with, at once with all kinds of things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? She said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes, and I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kinds who's most satisfied. Lots of people wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. Then Mabel began to sing the old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. Doesn't matter if it's a campy hymn with all those rhymy songs. When I, said, when I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes my glad, makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may sound, a human being really lived like this. I know, I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. Here is an ordinary human being who received supernatural power to do extraordinary things. Say, well, what? Surely, if she had supernatural power, she could cure the cancer that's eating her face. She could, she could whisk herself out of a crappy nursing home. She could, she could at least do something for herself. She could turn, shouldn't, couldn't she turn stone into bread? Here was an ordinary, here was an entire life consisted of following Jesus as best she could in her situation. Patient endurance of suffering, solitude, prayer, meditation on scripture, worship, fellowship when it was possible, giving when she had a flower or a piece of candy to offer. Imagine her in her condition saying, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me, you know. I'm one of those kind who's most satisfied. 
This is the 23rd Psalm come to life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For anyone who really saw Mabel, who was willing to turn aside, a hospital bed became a burning bush, a place where this ordinary and pain-filled world was visited by the presence of God. When others saw the life in that hospital bed, they wanted to take off their shoes. The lid was off the terrarium. Then the turn came with a catch of the breath and a beating of the heart and tears. They were standing on holy ground. Do you believe such a life is possible for an ordinary human being? And now there's a burden to carrying a story like this because it's, well, 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 what about Daniel or what about Billy or what about so-and-so? What about Elmer? There's a burden. I was asked when I was in London, had a question and answer in the church and might be able to get the video um, from it because they did take video. It was just on a cell phone. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know if it worked out well, but a young woman asked me if I believed in miracles. And I said, yes, I do. And, you know, well, how, how can you believe in those? And I said, it's re really not for me the question of how I can believe in miracles. I've just seen too much. And I, it's not hard for me to believe in miracles. And you may or may not. And that's okay. But I don't have a hard time believing in miracles. I said, it's harder when the miracle doesn't come. It's harder when you see someone who seemingly undeservingly receives or even wields a miracle and then you see someone more deservingly not receive one that's the burden to bear but it's amazing that the temptations of Christ those stories revolve around the withholding of miracles and when Jesus is being crucified, of course, the mockers say he saved others. He cannot save himself. And of course, Christian theology says, um, no, he wasn't saving himself in order to save others. And so as I told to my seniors when I was running that adult, ministering to adult children, I, I thought of that course when a therapist once said, you know, the bookstores are filled with books about how to raise children and how to, how, to, how to parent young children and teenage children. There's like no books for how to be a parent to adult children. I thought, yeah, she's right. And then as I was coming up with a curriculum for that class, not that I'm an expert in any way, and I said, you know, the key to almost all ministry is your capacity to bear suffering. At least according to Mabel, that's that's actually a key to glory. And of course, 
in Christianity, that should be no surprise because the climax of the book of glory and the gospel of John is the crucifixion, which the gospel of John calls his glorification, which if you understand that word, let's say in contrast to the Iliad, is deeply, deeply stark. Why do I make these videos? Sometimes I have to preach to myself. Sometimes I have to... Sometimes I have to talk myself back into believing. It's a good thing I've had all these years of preaching experience. But some of the most important preaching experience has been preaching to myself. Because it's a prayer, it's a psalmist prayer of how long, O Lord, how long? Jesus, of course, quite famously on the cross, begins with the recitation of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jordan Peterson says, Archetypal stories are such because you can't get outside of them. They go all the way to the limits. And I think that's what you find in the cross of Christ and also the resurrection because the glorification on the cross is not the same without the resurrection. In some ways, it's just a really strange outcome from a very common Roman, from a very common Roman crucifixion. So if you watch this video and you worry for me, you can certainly pray for me. I'll always take your prayers. And then what you can pray for is that God continue to make a way and lead a way for this little corner of the internet to figure out, okay, what part can we play in this grand story of human history? Uh, it'll, it'll, it's a little corner of the internet, and I'm sure it'll be just a little part, just like I pastor a little church, and, and that is absolutely okay in some of the same way that that incredible power that Mabel had lit up just a little corner of a really crappy nursing home. But I'll tell you, so often, that's where you find him. <laughs> Don't look for him on CNN. Don't look for him on the steps of some pillared building in Washington, D.C. Don't look for him with the bright lights on and the television cameras streaming. Go into some little place. The place that you would least likely to expect to find him. And there you very well may see his glory. His glory in people that look like this. That'll do for now. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think.